A mindful self-compassion takes it a step further and says, be aware of how you feel in this moment and how you can be kind to yourself in reaction to that feeling. So it's taking it an extra step and offering self-kindness and compassion to whatever the emotion is that comes up. I'm Greg Rennie. And I'm Rob Reeford. And this is Mind Body Matters. Welcome to our podcast. You're probably here because you're interested in the mind-body connection. And so are we. You're, you're in the right place. Hey, Rob. I'm back. What an intense chat we had last week, eh? Yeah, it, it really was. And, and you know, it was good for me. Thank you. It was, um, it's, all, it's always good to talk about things, you know? Yeah. So, again, from the bottom of my heart, deep inside my body, thank you very much. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. I think it's something that we needed to talk about. I, I wasn't quite sure in the beginning when this happened, and I mentioned to the listeners in an episode, is that I didn't want to impose on you to talk about this. So I'm glad that you were comfortable enough to talk about his passing. But that's key to me, though. I mean, uh, as our mantra goes, keep talking, you know. Absolutely. Um, and listening, too. That's another thing we discovered. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's all great if everyone's just talking, but, uh, the other half of that component is, uh, listen. I'm sorry. I didn't catch you. I wasn't listening. Aha, funny guy, <laughs> funny guy. But again, th- thank you. It, it was good to talk about it. It, it, uh, gave me the opportunity to get a lot off my chest. Good. And I'm glad. That's, that's what's important. It is important. And, uh, if you remember the second episode we did on Mind Body Matters, we interviewed Valerie Gao, we interviewed Val about mindful, mindfulness in general, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she mentioned at the end that she's going to be taking this course on mindful self-compassion. I don't think I really heard of it before, so I wasn't quite sure what it's about, but she said she'd, she'd be interested in coming back and telling us about this course coming up. And she's here today. And she's here today to talk about it. She's finished the course. A bit about Val, she's provided crisis services for clients with missing family members following natural disasters and armed conflict, including mm-hmm. field work during uh, Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. And you might remember, Rob, from the other episode uh, that she worked on a project aimed at helping those impacted by 9-11 after that disaster. Mm-hmm. So in her own journey, she's been practicing mindfulness since 2010, and she's an active member of the Mindful Society Global Institute, MSGI. And as we mentioned, she um, has completed this course at University of California, San Diego. And we're going to chat with her, find out a little bit more. And her and I were talking about before that I'm going to be kind of a guinea pig here, right? So A guinea pig? Yeah, I'll see how it goes. I'm kind of uncomfortable <laughs> right. because I don't know very much about it, but we'll see how it goes. But she's going to she's gonna do this on me. You know, whatever she learns, oh. she's going to get me to do. Oh, you're, you know? go- you're going to become a participant today? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. Right. <laughs> So... Back for her second interview on Mind Body Matters, here is Valerie Gao. It's so nice to have you back in the studio. I was listening to our our first part. It's kind of like we're we're doing a you know a series of of episodes here. But basically the the first time that we got together and talked about mindfulness. Rob and I got a lot out of it. And if you listen to it at the end, you know, we we talked about how it impacts our life because mindful eating made so much sense to us. So really appreciate what you shared with us in the first episode. How have you been since then? 
I've been great. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I also uh, heard back from uh, some folks who listened to the episode. And uh, yeah, and some of my uh, students uh, and friends and people who are just curious to learn a bit about mindfulness and, and some feedback about that too. So I'm really happy that, uh, that the Mindful Eating resonated for you too. And I heard that in your conversation as well. It's kind of fun because we do this kind of on our own, right? The interview is separate. And then later I hear what you end up sharing. So it was kind of fun. Um, I've been good. And, and I, uh, we, last time we were talking, I was heading off to do a course um, in California on mindful self-compassion. And so um, I'm delighted to come back and talk about that. Right. At the end, we we're talking about uh, that this course was coming up and you just, you just finished it. We're going to, I got a lot of questions about the course. I just want to start off with the same question that I asked the first time. And maybe you look at it a little bit differently. Maybe this course kind of changed how you, how you look at it. But what does the mind body connection mean to you? Ah, great question. Oh, first of all, I love the name. Uh, when, when you, uh, the mind body matters uh, name. I feel like anytime we talk about I think because of my own explorations uh, with mindfulness um, over the past 13, 14 years, anytime we talk about one and the other is not part of it, that it isn't really a whole conversation, that there's a big component missing. So when we're entirely focused on the mind and we don't look at what's happening in the body, or we focus entirely on the physical self and we don't talk about what's happening in the mind, there's a piece that's going to miss. When you think about things like athletes and motivation and um, mind over matter concept, right? And how they are actually able to find their, their motivation, believe in themselves, uh, be compassionate to themselves, but also motivate themselves. That, none of that is about their body and their physical prowess. It's about how they handle the mental game, for example. Um, and the opposite can be said of someone who's incredibly intelligent, brilliant scientist, but actually turns out to have been severely depressed or dealing with major anxiety or had a lot of issues with anger and their family was, was impacted by that. Like there's, you know, so there, this person was suffering in an emotional and mental way, but they were like, so they, you know, and, and their body was impacted by that. And they ended up with maybe, I don't know, heart disease because of the stress that was caused to their body by the, the pressure of being the brilliant genius. So I just, like those are extremes, but just as examples of one without the other, I really feel like it's all required um, to have a real conversation about self. We were talking with uh, one of the doctors that we interviewed, and uh, he talked about how uh, with his patients, he first looks at the separation piece simply to kind of zero in on, okay, let's talk about mine for a second. And then uh, from there, then he talks about how all of this stuff is affecting yourself physically. These two things are connected. So it's very, very interesting how we look at things and there's that duality, you know, that, uh, you know, it's either, it's either mind or body, right? Either it's mental health or physical health. I think this really ties in with mindfulness in general. For, for people that haven't caught the, the first episode, how would you define mindfulness? For someone that doesn't know anything about it, and they're very interested in knowing about this mindful self-compassion that we're going to talk about. But first off, like, how would you describe mindfulness itself? I think it's, uh, it, I won't quote him word for word, but I usually like to refer back to John Kabat-Zinn, who's kind of the father of uh, talking about stress and mindfulness. And it's really a matter of paying attention 
uh, and awareness in the present moment without judgment. And I think uh, what's challenging for a lot of people is, uh, well, there's so much that's challenging, uh, paying attention in the present moment when we're really caught up in what's going to happen next. We're worried about what we need to remember. We're concerned about something coming up that we're that is stressful and worrying um, in our in our future. Some trip we're taking, some course, some moment that conversation that's coming up that's not going to be easy, or per- perceiving it as not being easy, or we're thinking about what happened that we made a mistake earlier in the day, and we're caught up in the emotions around that past future stuff instead of what's happening with me right now. Right now in the moment, yeah. Noticing right now in this moment with ourselves. And then um, the non-judgment piece is really big Um, without judgment, because once judgment is applied, then it becomes something other than mindfulness. It becomes something like self-criticism, you know, analysis, whatever it might be, but it becomes in the head and in the brain only, and it's not noticing what's happening. So mindfulness involves thoughts, noticing thoughts, excuse me, noticing feelings, noticing body reactions to whatever is happening. What, what is, the term that gets used a lot is just the word experience. What is my experience in this moment, physically, emotionally, mentally in this moment? Non-judgmentally, um, you talked about it uh, before, but the West has a difficult time with that as opposed to the East. Where a lot of this comes from, it comes from Buddhism. Why do you think in the West we have a, a difficult problem with judgment of this stuff? You know, there's there's so many theories, and there's lots that could be said about that, and I'm certainly not an expert on it, but one of the big things I would say is, uh, I mean, I work in the field of, of career advancement and employment. I'm helping people to do things like going to job interviews and ask for raises and all of that kind of stuff, and um, people are very focused on self-improvement in this culture, getting better, uh, improving reaching goals, setting goals. And I think, sorry, sometimes the uh, assumption is that in order to do that, we have to be really hard on ourselves. We have to push ourselves. And so the focus is on how can I really set up a system that's rigorous, that makes sure I don't forget and I don't lose my motivation. Nothing wrong with wanting to have motivation to better ourselves, but we get so caught up in that that we start judging when we're not reaching those goals. And that's where a lot of pain and suffering comes in. That's a, a great way to segue into talking about compassion. So you're saying that we're very, very hard on ourselves. I took a course. It was an intro to mindfulness. And they did a piece on this mindful self-compassion that we're going to talk about. But also was going through my mind at the time is that, uh, you know, what exactly is compassion? And you know, to be compassionate, do you have to be compassionate to others and yourself at the same time? How how do you see compassion fitting in with all this? Yeah, it's a really good question because in addition to what I just said about uh, judgment and answer to your question about our culture, like Western culture, um, there's also this idea that we need to be compassionate for others in order to be a good human being but there's very little focus on ourselves and we are part of human human sorry common humanity 
we're all human beings. Why do I not deserve the same kind of compassion that I think you deserve? You know, you, Greg, coming into this conversation, maybe you were having a bad morning, maybe something happened, you know, and you're having a, a situation that's hard. And I would feel for you about that. But if it was me, uh, why would my natural uh, tendency be to criticize myself for maybe not being as prepared as I would have liked to be for a conversation? And you, I would give leeway. Yeah. Because yeah. that's important. And I value that as important. But me, no, no, no. My voice to myself is going to be, you should have been more organized. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you more organized? And why didn't you think about this in advance instead of thinking, oh, well, you had that thing that was difficult that happened earlier. Maybe that set you off. Yeah, I was just um, reading somewhere where we're so hard on ourselves that it, it has a a physiological impact. And we're, we're going to talk about that. But what I what I heard was is that when we're really hard on ourselves, we're judge, judging ourselves really, really harshly, that it impacts our brain in the way that it, it triggers the fight, flight, freeze response. And so then what we're doing, we think that we're, doing ourselves good by, by, you know, setting the bar high and, and this judgment, but what it does actually, it, it creates this feeling of a need to protect myself. a need to be vigilant, a need to fight flight or, or freeze. So this whole topic is really, really interesting because there's bits and parts I've actually found out, you know, since you were uh, in the studio last, when it comes to self-compassion, I realized when I did this course, which was a small little course um, at uh, University of California, San Diego, uh, same place that you went to. And much like I did years ago when I was uh, going through some difficulty and I was in a hospital for mental health issues, is the realization on how harsh and how judgmental my inner critic is. And the realization that in this small little exercise that I did on on self-compassion, the same thoughts came back and the, the, the thoughts were, I'm not worthy of doing this. This is really weird. I feel kind of self-indulgent doing this, but also it brought up the issues from, from many, many years ago, this really, really harsh self-critic. And that, that was the one that was saying, why are you doing this? This is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So welcome to being human. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, it is, so common and in fact common to the point that throughout the course we were being we were being reminded that uh if we that we are okay so we are expected when we're doing this kind of work to experience something that they call backdraft backdraft is a concept not unlike firefighting comes from firefighting uh so it's it's a metaphor where in a, in a fire the oxygen is all used up by the fire and then you open a window and all that oxygen bursts in and the flames come out. Right. When you take that metaphor and apply it to self-compassion, what's happening in that moment where we're feeling these, you know, these judgments are coming and we're whatever it might be like icky, uncomfortable feeling when someone's asking us to do that moment of, of judgment in the mind going, Oh, why am I, why I don't deserve this. What, what is this about? Why am I doing this? This is for somebody else. This isn't for me. I'm not comfortable. Sometimes people actually get a stomach, like a physical reaction. Their stomach, they feel sick. Their heart starts to beat really quickly. Something else happens that's uncomfortable. So it can happen in, in, in any number of different places. 
they, in the course, uh, the Mindful Self-Compassion, MSC for short, they call this backdraft and say to expect it. Oh, so what I was experiencing was par for the course. That was normal. It's expected. And that's the nice part about it is when you say to yourself, okay, oh yeah, there it is. So the mindful piece of self-compassion is, oh, that's, okay, there's that, the labeling, which we do in mindfulness. We try to label what the emotion is that we're now experiencing, what the reaction is, what the experience is in our body. So we have that moment of like, okay, there's backdraft, that's coming, because the natural tendency is that you're opening up wounds. When you are allowing in self-compassion, you're touching on old pain, which is not easy for anybody to do. If you just, and as I was going to do this course, I was saying to people, if you think about why we don't speak kindly to ourselves, if you think about the reasons why our tendency is to go to that negativity bias of looking for what's wrong and trying to problem solve, it's usually not going to come from a happy place, unfortunately. So most of us in this program were things that were coming up were not easy memories. They were hurtful. They might have been an individual. They might have been a situation, an institutional environment, um, a painful experience, a traumatic experience uh, that might not have even involved another person. There's so many different layers of, of this onion that we could unpeel and look at where it's coming from, but it isn't going to feel good initially. So the training is not just to let all those open wounds surface, because what does that leave you with, right? That's just good. The, the flames are just there and nobody's dousing them out. So what you want to do for yourself and what you learn to do in this program is then to nurture yourself, is then to say, what do I need in this moment? What is it that I can offer myself? Uh, and so there are lots of different ways to, to do that that we can explore. We'll go through the rest of the conversation. This seems like it takes time, much like uh, yes. the first time you do meditation, people, you know, have a certain reaction to it. This is boring. Why am I doing this? Yeah. Uh, so the thoughts that I had were, so, sound to be normal. And uh, I guess I am human. <laughs> <laughs> what went through my mind was that I really should know how to find self-compassion for myself because the work I did as a therapist, <sighs> you know, I, I felt I was compassionate working with people. But it was kind of a bit of a shock to realize that, yeah, that's kind of like old behavior with me where I, I, I'm hard on myself and it's really, really hard to be co compassionate towards myself. But also what came up, too, is it brought me back to that time I mentioned uh, years ago about looking at my self-esteem. Ah, okay. Let's talk about the difference between self-esteem and, and self-compassion because – I uh, I was told a long time ago that I had a low self-esteem. I, I knew that, right? So then we, we do these things to build ourselves up, right? But it's that isn't quite self-compassion. Uh, am I right? Right. You're right. It's not. It's different. Yeah. So there's been quite a lot of research done on the difference between self-esteem and, and self-compassion. And in fact, Kristen Neff, who we've been referring to, um, who is one of the uh, – people who designed this program based on her book called Self-Compassion and then the Mindful Self-Compassion workbook. Um, she and Chris Garmer uh, created that uh, course that I took in various different versions, eight weeks or five days. The, the, the curriculum is theirs um, based on that. And so uh, 
they did, they've done a lot of research and lots of people have, but, but Kristen's known for it probably more than anybody about um, mindful self-compassion, but also specifically one of the areas is the difference from self-esteem. So here's the thing about self-esteem. This is a generational reference I'm going to make, but apparently you're going to get it, but some people listening might not. <laughs> so one of the things that comes up a lot when they talk about this, apparently, is the Stuart Smalley, I'm good enough. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> God, doggone it, people love me or like me, uh, you know. Right. The, the positive affirmations, and that's a Saturday Night Live reference from a long time ago for people of our generation, for anybody who's not getting what we're talking about. Basically, it refers to a guy standing in the mirror and saying these things to himself over and over again to try to make himself feel better when he's not feeling well. Well, the research shows that it, it doesn't really help a lot. And in fact, in some cases, positive affirmations actually work in the opposite way because people are not feeling that they're worthy, that they're well, that they're good enough. And they don't think people like them. So it's kind of hollow. It doesn't actually fix something or make you feel any better. It's actually just kind of trying to trick your mind. Um, the difference would be that self-esteem refers to being the best, being better, comparing yourself with other people. It's like looking at a standard. So I'm good at this, right? Um, I'm a star no matter what I do. I'm, and like it's, it's this kind of language. And, uh, and self-compassion is not comparing to anyone. It's referring to common humanity. So it's saying we all suffer. We all have challenges. We all make mistakes. We all fail. We all have problems. Uh, none of us are perfect. So it's instead of looking at, I'm great at this, it's more like I'm a human being. And it does recognize it. But the concept of self-compassion does recognize self uh, qualities of self. So um, self-appreciation is part of self-compassion. Because guess what? If you're talking about another person... You're going to look at all of their qualities. You're probably going to consider what they're good at. It's easy for me to talk about um, your skills and your abilities. But when I talk about myself, why am I concerned that, that that's going to sound like bragging or boasting or something like that? Self-esteem does encourage you to do that, to talk about yourself in, in that positive light. Self-compassion is, is, is saying yes to do that and also to look at common humanity and all of the, the sides of yourself. So the realistic situation might be that, you know, I, this is an area that I am concerned about. This is an area of myself that I feel like I could improve. Um, if you're just saying positive affirmations, you're not really thinking about that, right? And there's, there's a concept called fierce self-compassion, which looks at, here's an area that I think I could be stronger at that I might want to work with. And we talked about organizational skills at one point, I think. So let's let maybe we could use that as an example. I feel like I could be more organized. So I'm so is it going to help me more to just say you're okay the way you are, right? Or to also take a moment and say, what is what is what is it to be really kind to myself? What is it kind to myself to just and this is getting back to the lazy thing earlier, right? Um, is it kind to myself to just say, You're fine, don't worry about it. You don't need to be organized. Or is it kind to myself to say, what would help me? I was watching a video earlier today of uh, Kristen Neff, and she was talking about self-esteem in that self-esteem is, is pushed so much that we're ha we're, we have a society of narcissists. Yeah, I've heard that People too. that think of the, like the, the opposite side of it, 
Can you talk a bit about that and what, what you learned about that? Well, I don't know that we focused specifically on that it creates narcissism uh, in, in terms of the course. It was more a matter of um, just focusing on what uh, might be a negative impact of self-esteem versus self-compassion. Right. And, and the negative impact can be that people are spending a lot of time focusing on you know, how they can really like focusing on themselves so much uh, and being great at something. It kind of gets back to what we talked about earlier, goal setting and really wanting to achieve things and do really well at something. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. And self-compassion says, okay, like what I was, what I was saying a minute ago, um, we're all human and we all make mistakes. So in fact, it's interesting because the research shows that people who are self-compassionate actually do tend to um, do better in terms of reaching goals because they're able to say, okay, uh, that's not going so well right now. What can I do differently? As opposed to, I've got to keep going, push, 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 push. And the push, push, push thing of the self-esteem focus of many decades now, especially in, in I think the U.S., it's happened more so than it has in Canada, um, has been this this society of people all trying to be the best instead of trying to be human beings in communication with others, uh, connecting with the rest of the world and the rest of the community. And self-compassion is not isolated in self. You, it's not possible to do self-compassion training and only focus on myself. It won't be an option. It will be required going through the process that I'm thinking about myself in relationship to others. So what I was saying a minute ago about being kind to others and not to yourself, but also taking that and going, okay, well, how can I learn from those experiences to continue to be a better person? And what does that mean? People who are, tend to use self-compassion and practice self-compassion uh, are also more likely to be um, the kind of partners who want to take time and do things like, for example, perspective taking, consider another person's point of view. So they will be focusing in a relationship on where does that person come from? What is it that that person might need right now? Because they've had that internal time to think, what do I need right now? You mentioned earlier about self-appreciation. I'm not sure if I get that. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Is that something, is that a, a byproduct after you do this or is this a goal or what, what exactly is that? Uh, I would say that it's, it's part of the process. And I just want to be clear that uh, mindful self-compassion isn't a thing that you do and then you're done any more than mindfulness is a thing that you do and then you're done. Right. So it's a practice. Uh, and I think I might've mentioned in the first uh, conversation we had about mindfulness that when I was doing my training, they said practice makes practice. Good point. Not practice makes perfect, right? So you're not goal setting with mindful self-compassion. It isn't a thing you're going to be good at. It's a practice. I have to do it personally. I mean, I took this course. I have to keep doing it. It isn't something I'm going to now get and be fine at. We're so conditioned to, and I deal with this with my uh, the clients in the program that I work with. It's career advancement for newcomers to Canada. Uh, oh, don't be too big for your britches. Don't talk too much about yourself. Don't stand out. You'll make others feel bad and all of that. So self-appreciation is just being balanced in how you look at yourself as a human being. I have good qualities as well as things that I could improve on. 
if I'm going to see another person that way, and we're all human beings, then I actually need to see myself that way. Or I'm not seeing the whole person that I am. And therefore, my view is skewed to the world and myself. This also helps to look at others in a more balanced way. So if we're really harsh, and I kind of want to, if you don't mind, I want to get back to that, what you talked about, the inner critic thing and the, 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 the fight, flight, or freeze and the, the amygdala, which engages when we think we're at threat and we try to react. When we are self-critics, instead of self-appreciators, but self-critics, we are actually our attackers as well as our own victims. So we are causing our own pain as well as like daily gifts that we're causing the pain and we're, we're suffering from it. How is that going to help anybody else in humanity? <laughs> How is that going to help us to be kind to our children, to uh, have patience with a person who is speaking in a way that makes us uncomfortable, triggers some sort of voice from our past, makes us anxious or brings up anger or whatever the case may be. It's, it's not right. So the fight, flight, or freeze thing that happens with um, the physiology of self-compassion, it's, it's also there with mindfulness. When, when we're mindful and we're, when we're pausing before acting, when we're stopping before responding, or well, actually when we're responding instead of reacting is the heart of it, responding instead of reacting. So instead of just like quickly going to what comes first, which is going to be the negativity bias, the tendency to look at what's wrong, try to fix it, try to problem solve. Instead, it's going to be the next thing with mindfulness, which is taking it a step below that and looking at what's really happening. What are my emotions? What's my reaction to this? I wonder why that, that comment is setting me off and making me upset. Well, when we're our own self-critic, <laughs> we're, we're, we're making our work twice as hard because we're saying to ourselves, oh, that was so stupid. I can't believe you did that. And then we're having to recover from that. That's a common one for me. Okay. Okay. How do you feel when, let me ask you something, Greg, if you don't mm -hmm. mind, you could be, you could be, uh, you know, the subject for a moment here. No, that sounds great. Okay, good. So someone says that to you. Why are you so stupid? Why didn't you think about that? How does that feel if you hear that from me? I feel a lot of things, but what, what goes through my mind when people say that is I filter it through how I see myself and see if I agree with it. Ah. Right. I say like, is that a fair judgment of myself? So then I'll challenge that. But there's times where it's hard for me to challenge that, to um, speak up for myself and say, you know, I, I disagree with that. that. That's an unfair statement. Yeah. It depends the way I feel about it. It depends on how I'm filtering it through myself at the time. Right. Great. So, so what that statement means to you um, is, is, and so you go through this process of, oh, do I agree with that? Is it okay for me to respond to that? What is that person going to think of me if I respond to that? You know, I don't know. What well, should I say something in response to that? But what if you say it to yourself? Because the thing is, when someone says that to you, I mean, that can really hurt. And the other side of that is, would you say that to someone you cared about? Would you turn to a friend who was having a hard time and forgot about something important in their life, and they're telling you this story, would you say, oh, you're so stupid, I can't believe you forgot that? Not at all. No. Of course not. We would never do that. One of the really central practices in mindful self-compassion is to constantly 
remind ourselves of that. And this is, like I said, it's a practice. So we have to remind ourselves all the time because the go-to is going to be the negative thing. So when we have that moment of thinking, okay, what would I, what would I say if that was this friend of mine, if that was my child, if that was, because that kind of stuff was coming up in the course for people, thinking about how they talk to their children, how they try to build up their child's self-esteem, you know, self-worth, uh, sense of self-worth by being kind and by helping them to be kind to themselves and realizing that maybe they're not doing that for themselves. So what kind of example will they be setting for children and what will their children then take from this learning? Well, mom isn't very kind to herself. I know she tells me to be, but I see her going, oh, that's so stupid. Oh, I, I should have thought about that. Um, and, and so what, is, what am I supposed to do? What, I don't understand. It's confusing for a child. And that's not to say, I mean, again, we're human. So it's not to say everybody needs to be a perfect parent. I mean, it's not possible. Everybody's going to, in our lives, make mistakes and say things we regret later. Mindful self-compassion is not ruminating. So the freeze part of the fight, flight or freeze is the rumination is being stuck with whatever is going on. So if you're unkind to yourself, you have this moment and you say this thing to yourself, it's then being stuck there and you can't stop thinking about it. You know, you're just in this wheel of negative thought. Where does That's that when I berate to? myself for something. Yes. Right? That, that rumination is where I really berate myself. I'll do something where I embarrass myself or I trip or something. That <laughs> can be really hard on myself depending on the day. It's an ongoing thing. I mean, it could be hours later. I said, God, that was really stupid for me to say that in front of that person. Yeah. Or I, you know, I was so stupid that, that I, you know, that I embarrassed myself, right? It, it, it's a circle and you just start feeling worse and worse as, as the time goes on. Yeah. Well, thank you for being so honest about that. That's really true. And we all experience that. We all have moments where there's, I mean, sure everybody who's listening can think, okay, there was that time where I said that thing. It might've been something this morning. It might've been last night, you know, uh, might be six years ago and you cannot still, there's that thing that you work with. So there was actually an activity in the course where we worked with a particular example of something that we were having trouble uh, letting go of. And it was maybe a conflict with a friend or something. Usually in the exercises, if anybody considers taking a course like this, which, by the way, is offered all over the place in Canada and the U.S., um, uh, and we, I'll put some uh, information in the resources Right. Later. We'll talk about some resources at the end, and then I'll put that in the episode description. Yeah, but if anybody does think about it, usually the activities, it's, it's suggested that you utilize, or as an example, something that is mild to moderate. So what you were just talking about now, you know, um, something like falling, something like, oh, there was something I said to somebody and they weren't mortally offended or hurt, but it caused a little bit of discomfort or there was a situation with a friend where uh, you felt that they were, so it doesn't have to be about you making a mistake or being hard to on yourself. It can be just some sort of conflict that you had at some point with a friend uh, or whatever, for example, and it is just stuck in your mind. And it's, it, that's what I went used for this activity. Um, and it was just something that for whatever reason, I've never really been able to let go of. And then in this particular activity, we, we through meditation, through quiet uh, time on our own and really letting ourselves kind of dip into uh, the present moment to notice what was happening emotionally, physically uh, for us when we thought about this story. What was the value system, the core value that I have, core value of whatever it might be, fairness, trust, 
honesty, something like that, kindness, that was not respected in this situation, that I felt was ignored, that I felt was not addressed. And then uh, what is it that I need now? Because I'll never get it from that person. So this could be somebody who's deceased, somebody who you're completely estranged from, somebody who you know isn't capable uh, of providing that for you. Just the nature of the relationship or the individual um, that can come up with an older person from a different generation who's less comfortable talking about emotion, but it can also just come up from someone you have a bit of a complicated relationship with. I know I'm never going to hear it from this friend. So what can I give myself? What do I need to hear right now? How can I help myself? So self-kindness, the three components of mindful self-compassion include self-kindness as well as common humanity and mindfulness. So self-kindness is, okay, this is, boy, that really hurt, didn't it? That, That thing that happened with your friend. When your friend forgot about you and didn't consider you in that situation and, and then you were left out of something that was important to you, how did that make you, that really made you feel that you weren't valued. This person didn't care about you. Um, you weren't included. You didn't belong. You weren't, you know, important in their life. And, and you thought you were and that hurt. And how did that feel? Hurt, sad disengaged, alone, all these kinds of things. Boy, it's hard to feel that, isn't it? So what you would say to a friend in that situation if they told you that story is, wow, that, must, that sounds like that really hurt. That must have been a terrible story, situation for you. How horrible to see a friend say that to you. I can't imagine. I'm so sorry you're feeling that way. I'm so sorry you went through that. Why is it not okay for us to say that to ourselves? Wow, is that what you learn in the course yeah. is, to, is, is to use the same wording? Yeah. Exactly the same thing. In, in, in a quiet moment, why can I not sit, close my eyes, say to myself, oh, I'm feeling all of these things. It hurt when that person said that. Here's why it hurt. Now I understand. <clears throat> I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I was included. That really hurt. What do I need to hear right now? Hmm. And it might be something that comes from loving kindness meditation, which we, I think we talked about in the first class, which is, you know, uh, coming up with a phrase. And instead of a positive affirmation, it's a wish. So instead of you are good enough, you are worthy, it's may you feel that you belong. May you feel safe. May you feel included. May you feel well. You know, whatever it is that you feel that you don't have right now, you then provide to yourself as a wish as opposed to a statement that it's already the case because that's real. That's based in the reality of the situation currently and what you're experiencing. I like to go back to my experience and it was very, very brief. It was part of an introductory course, but it does come to mind that during this exercise, as I mentioned earlier, I felt uncomfortable about it. I'm not quite sure what was going on. And and I know that you're not an expert in mindful self-compassion, but with this course, can you help me understand what was going on and maybe walk me through, for example, the facilitator asked for us to put our hand on our heart. Ah. Okay. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. But as soon as I did that, then once again, you know, there's this feeling of, you know, I'm being selfish and self-indulgent here. Why, why, why am I putting my 
my hand over my heart. Yes. Can you explain more to me? Because I, I didn't really get much from it. It was just a very, very brief experience, but uh, maybe walk me through. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm just trying to think what would be better to explain it first or just let, maybe let's just walk. Maybe let's just try it. We talked a minute ago about the fight, flight, or freeze, the amygdala that comes into play when we think we're at threat. There's a threat and we're trying to react to it. What happens when we provide some sort of soothing touch, and it might not be to ourselves, it might be to a pet. People say a lot of times that petting their cat or their dog, uh, stroking their child's hair, whatever it might be, something else external sometimes is, is helpful as well calms them down. So what's happening there is endorphins and oxytocin and what is released oh, in the body, okay. right? That, 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 that gentle touch, um, what that releases and how that can counteract what you have engaged through or what was engaged through whatever the other activity was that, that was kind of hurtful or whether it was self-judgment or whatever was going on um, that caused the, the first reaction. So you're now calming, you're now soothing and when you're in that place where the endorphins and the oxytocin are, are released, your body is a body and your spirit and your mind are now able to actually access the self-compassion more effectively. So a, a shift happens and you're now open to another perspective. Yeah. So it's worth trying. Um, shall we try it? And then anybody who's listening can also can also try this. Yeah. I, I mean, this is all audio. It's not visual. But, right. Um, yeah, I, I really like to know more about that experience because it's kind of like I had, you know, a very, very, very small course here. Uh, like I said, you, I, I know you're not an expert on it, but you've had this five-day intensive course. Yes. Really interested to know more about what was going on for me and how I can use this maybe on a daily basis. Okay, so instead of doing an activity, did you want to just talk about that a little bit more or? I'm interested going back to, uh, I know I mentioned before, I'll go back to it, is, okay. is this... Uh, this touch thing. Yes. Okay? Um, I, I felt very weird putting my hand over my heart. It felt good, but it just felt weird. And uh, I wasn't quite sure why I was doing it. I was trying to think of, well, I got into a lot of, you know, mental thought. Right. But it just seemed weird and, <laughs> and odd and so strange. But I, I get it intellectually. Okay. Right. As a meditation practitioner and Buddhist and all, I get it. But for some reason, it was... I had a difficulty in the self-touch, yes. right? It just seemed so odd that it distracted me. So why don't we start there and, you know, you can talk about your experience or just work with mine. It's, it's, yeah. it's fine. Okay. Well, so um, it's connected to what we said about backdraft earlier, mm -hmm. which is what's happening when you uh, take that moment and apply that soothing touch can be that those wounds are coming up. So it can be that you're having a, a physical reaction and the discomfort is what comes up when you're trying to give yourself self-compassion. Mm -hmm. Intellectually, I don't know whether you're going to be able to access that because the, the question isn't to analyze it and get in your brain about it, right? Which is our tendency. What, what is that? Why is that happening? But to actually just notice, okay, when you have your hand. And, and so... I'm doing that right now. I'm, I'm, I'm going back you? to this okay. experience. I got my hand over my heart. Is that, is that where I should be putting it? Is there anything else I should be doing? Well, this is, this is what I wanted to mention is there are lots of different options. And it's great to take a moment and actually just to begin it, to actually uh, get into a quiet place. 
and try even closing your eyes or having your eyes in a downcast position. Okay, I'll do that. They don't have to be shut if that isn't comfortable or you don't have access to that if anybody wants to try this with us. And then to just take a second, maybe take a deep breath and just breathe in and, and breathe out and let some air out to get yourself kind of present into this moment. Breathing out. And just taking a second and kind of preparing yourself mentally for, for trying something like this. And so what we're going to do, I'll give you a couple of different options. There are many ways to do this. Hand on the heart might not actually feel that comfortable. So there are a couple of different things you can try. You can actually try hand on face, hand on the other side of the chest, away from the heart, hands crossed over the middle of your chest, kind of just, you know, that self holding, if that might feel a little bit better than just one hand over the heart. That does. I'm, I'm crossing uh, yeah, I'm crossing my hands uh, like you are here. So I have, in, instead of one hand on my chest, I got, for some reason, that is accepting. I kind of accept that. It's not as Interesting. Weird. Okay, good. I, I love it. So that's a breakthrough, right? For some people, it might be one hand under the other kind of held more in a fist and one on top, and then that kind of the hands together uh, over the chest in that way, that might feel a little bit better. Another one, if so for some people, based on trauma from the past or body issues or whatever it might be, the hand just hovering over the chest in some place might feel a little bit better where you're not actually making contact, you're just over that area. And with your eyes shut, taking a second and breathing in and seeing how that feels. That is a different experience. Yeah. So I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear how this, these different options feel for you compared to the hand and the heart, Greg. For some reason, when, when I was doing it before, um, I got too focused on the physical part, but when I, I have my hand over my heart, I kind of feel an energy, which I do believe in, right? An energy without the distraction of, of that touch. Yeah. I'm not sure why it's easier this way, but I'm, I'm still doing it here. But why, why would that feel better? I don't understand. Well, you know, I, I think it's, it's the question of, of the whole practice is why one thing feels better. That's why there are so many versions of this, because each person has different reasons. And it may not be something you can totally unpack. But for whatever reason in this moment, for one person, hand on the heart is totally comfortable. For somebody else, it's really uncomfortable. Um, and there are lots of different reasons for that. As I was mentioning, sometimes it's a body-related issue. Um, sometimes it's, it's something related to, is it okay? I mean, is this acceptable for me to provide touch to myself? That's it. That's it. That's, that's what goes through my mind is that uh, I, have, I have a hard time accepting this, 
this, you know, woo-woo kind of. Exactly. Uh, woo-woo is what comes up the most around this complete. practice. <laughs> most people initially react to this and go, oh, come on, putting my hand on my, come on, putting my hand on my heart. It is kind of a Stuart Smalley moment, right? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. People will like me. People like me. But, it, but it, it, if we can get past that. But I think what you're finding is by hovering over instead of actually touching, you are, and, and you also, I just want to comment, you also liked it when you crossed your hands and put them both. So for people to understand, we mean, yeah, we mean kind of like crossing your hands over your chest. Um, could be close range right in the middle, or it could be just across and up on your shoulders. For for some people, it could actually be a hand on a shoulder instead. That's another option. One hand on one shoulder. How does that feel compared with the heart? It feels better, but doesn't seem to be as powerful as my hand hovering over my heart. Hovering over. So you're yeah. going, that's the one. So I would encourage anyone who's listening, if they're thinking about this, to try, and for you, Greg, to maybe try one of these mindful self-compassion practices just with the hand hovering. And it can be just a couple of minutes when you are having that moment with a, with a story like what you told a minute ago about I fall, tripped and fell, and I was embarrassed, right. and I can't stop thinking about how stupid that looked, right? Taking a moment going into a place where nobody else is around. You know, sometimes if you're, if you're in an office or you're in an environment where there's other people, I've actually done a practice like this in the bathroom hmm. at work. And it was about a fall. I'd had a terrible fall and I was embarrassed in front of a lot of people. Uh, I actually got injured too. But anyway, I went into the bathroom and I sat down and thought, what's going on in my mind right now? I'm embarrassed. I feel like I'm getting old. I couldn't see where I was going. My balance isn't as good. Um, oh, everybody was looking at me. I was. I, I thought, how does that feel? I feel silly and I'm, age is coming up. And then I was like, okay, the, are these all truths or are these just things I'm telling myself? Ah, okay. I'm getting it. Right? So, okay, I am getting older. That's true. But that may not be why I fell. Anybody can fall. I tripped and fell. I'm a human being. I made a mistake, and it hurts. That's another thing. What's happening in my body? That, that hip where I landed is, is pretty sore right now. I bet you there's going to be a bruise there later. What do I need right now? Okay, what do, I, what do I need? I need to take a moment and put my hand on my heart or over my heart or whatever, for my shoulder, and hands across my, like whatever feels right for me right now, and just say, take a few breaths and say, what do I need? Well, I need to know that I'm part of humanity. Everybody falls, everybody trips, everybody feels embarrassed. That's part of reality. That's, that's human reality. And so I remind myself of that. I take a few breaths. And the reality of the situation isn't all of those things I just said to myself. There's nothing about me that's stupid. It's just a human situation that happens. And once I was able to do that and go through that process, I was then able to calm down because I was actually in tears because it hurt. And I had to actually lead my coworkers in a mindfulness <laughs> activity half an hour later. And I was able to walk in and I, what I chose to do was tell them that story. If I had, and here's an example, if I had gone right in and tried to lead a class, that would not have been an effective class because I was still in my mind. Just uh, thinking that what occurred to me, I relate very much to the story that you're talking about, and I was I was okay. internalizing as 
you know, a similar situation. Also, I, I came up with a thought for myself that, okay, the most difficult piece of this is being judged. Ah. I know what they're thinking about me. They think, what an idiot, you know, he doesn't know how to walk or what, you know, I'm guessing what other people are saying. So there was a, a part of me during this that said and challenged that part. Like, how do you know that they were judging you that way? How do you know that they're thinking in their mind, what an idiot? Perhaps what they're thinking is, oh, I hope he's okay. You know, right. and they, they decide as, um, you know, uh, a human error that they do. Right. So yeah. I get this. I, I can I, I can see this. But it's interesting because this is much different than, let's say, cognitive behavioral therapy. Right. Where, where you're you're challenging the thought. There's something a little bit different in this practice. Have you found that, too? Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. It's not so much about uh, and, uh, uh, trying to change a behavior in the same way. It's more about just being kind to yourself in a situation, uh, reflecting um using mindfulness to, uh, and possibly the soothing touch piece is not always part of this. This is just one of many, many ways of accessing this. It could be uh, that you go and sit down and write it out. Oh, For I some see. People, okay. yeah. Journaling might be. Uh, so we did lots of activities in the course where we were writing and we were just uh, think about what was the core value behind that situation that happened. You mentioned before about core value. Tell me more about that yeah. because I'm intellectualizing, uh, like I said, based on, you know, CBT core value, but this, this sounds different. Maybe you can tell me more about that. Well, I don't know. Um, I'm not trained in CBT, so it might, it's be interesting to hear that perspective as well um, to do the comparison. So it's referring to when you are, uh, when something is hurting and is upsetting um, and um, it's a concept in mindful self-compassion, which is resistance looking at resistance that's going to come up around these activities. So actually, the, the, the discomfort with um, the soothing touch is also some form of resistance to what this activity is that we're supposed to, we've just been asked to do, right? It's, it's your, your body and your spirit are resisting. Like, no, that's not okay. I don't feel comfortable with that. That's right? it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so um, it, I was talking about backdraft. It's all very interconnected. Right? It's all like, okay, uh, I'm resisting this and this isn't comfortable. So um, where the core value uh, does, I don't know that core values always come into every situation that you're dealing with. But the example that I was giving was a situation um, where you can think about, uh, was it because core val- one of the core values that is important to me is honesty, for example. And the thing that I can't get rid of and I can't stop thinking about when I was, uh, was when I, I, I told a mistruth, maybe, you know, I said something to someone and I realized years later, it was a situation where I felt that being, being truthful might've hurt that person. And so instead I didn't tell them the truth and I thought I was saving their feelings, but now I regret that. Why does that bother me so much? Because one of my core values is honesty. So it's it's just giving yourself a, the opportunity to reflect on that a little bit. And then with mindful self-compassion, it's not just sitting in an analysis place or a place that's in the mind and, you know, because that kind of, by the way, can be another version of resistance to intellectualize um, instead of deep, dipping into the to the exercises when you start to, to get into that. I mean, we're doing a podcast, so we are talking about it, but I'm just mentioning for people who find that that might come up for them when, when they're asked to do this, that can be another another version of, of, uh, of resistance. But 
Anyway, um, it other examples might be a situation where, well, I was giving the example with uh, the friend and I felt that I was not valued and I felt that I didn't belong. And I realized a core value for me um, was around inclusion and making other people feel uh, that they're part of something that I'm creating. So if I ever made somebody feel that they weren't respected, for example, that would be, and that for me personally, I will share, that is extremely painful for me. And so when something comes up and someone tells me, I did have someone say to me that they felt that I wasn't treating them with respect in a certain situation, um, I, that brought up shame for me. And, uh, and yeah, and so one of the activities we did in the course was around shame. Shame is so powerful. And it, it as you know, as a therapist, causes so much uh, pain and discomfort, depression, anxiety. I mean, you know, so much of it is around shame. And um, what we're shameful about is often connected to the core value system. Uh, I'm embarrassed because I think that people should always be, I don't know, um, treated with respect. And I feel like I'm not able to do that when I'm angry and I end up hurting somebody else. So somebody who's dealing with a lot of anger issues and is finding that they're constantly uh, being activated in anger quickly and that is impacting their relationships, they're likely even more... Uh, cruel to themselves and angry with themselves. Um, and so self-compassion can help them to notice when that's happening, which makes it less likely for them to lash out at another person as well, because they'll take that moment and notice first, oh, this is what's happening now. I can stop myself and pause and maybe not act with so much anger. I hope that helps. It, it does. And I wonder if some of the stuff, the resistance that you were talking about, the, that aversion had to do with uh, self-worth. In another episode, I was talking about how in my journey with uh, addiction to alcohol and drugs, part of the reason that I was using that, looking back on it, because we talked about the why of addiction, my why was I hated myself, right? Now, I've, ah. I've worked on that my whole life, and uh, it's improved quite a bit. And I can say today that I feel a lot better about myself, and I, I love myself, but Maybe what was happening there, that resistance, that aversion was tie being tied into that. That was like the old behavior, the old voice coming back and saying, you know, you don't, you don't really like yourself very much at all. Why are you doing yes. this? Does that make sense? Absolutely. That makes a hundred percent sense, Greg, because when I talk about resistance, when in the, in this training of mindful self-compassion, when we talk about the term resistance in that context, we are talking about behaviors that come into play to uh, to avoid the pain that comes up with these old wounds. So, for example, rather than it's too painful to really think about that thing that happened when I was a child that hurt me so much, to remember that situation where I feel that I really failed, uh, or or where I, my relationship was a disaster, didn't work out, or something happened, right, where my parent was unkind to me, or something, whatever, whatever it is. So instead, uh, one version of resistance is to drink. Another one is to eat. Mm -hmm. Another one is to, you know, what it could be any number of things, but anything other than feel that feeling avoidance um, comes into play and allows us to not have to deal with that feeling. That hits home. Yeah. And so when we're, do, we're using mindful self-compassion, we're actually trying to allow for the feeling. Mindfulness. So here's a, a distinction. Mindfulness says... Uh, be aware, have spacious awareness around that emotion that's now coming up for you. A mindful self-compassion takes it a step further and says, 
be aware of how you feel in this moment and how you can be kind to yourself in reaction to that feeling. So it's taking it an extra step and offering self-kindness and compassion to whatever the emotion is that comes up. Because sometimes people feel when they meditate that a lot of these emotions come up and then they don't know what to do with them. And as I said before, that's where the flames are just flying and everything's just, all those wounds are open and you just leave in a lot of pain. Not a good idea. And you know that from a therapy perspective, right? You don't want someone to leave a session and just be thinking about all this pain. You want to find some way to kind of resolve that. So self-compassion can be something people can do for themselves to try to support that. So what's going through my mind then is that I stop using alcohol and drugs, that using that as, as a distraction and an escape. But maybe there's still part of me that is pushing back and the resistance ties in with the work I did many years ago, but there's some leftover work to do maybe. Well, I think, yeah. I, you know what? I think a good way to look at it is that it's, it's just, it's not something that we're just done, as I was saying earlier, it's something that is a practice. So it's, it's recognizing that there will be things that come up. So I'll, I'll tell you when I was in the course, uh, something came up around with, uh, came up for me during the inner critic, uh, activity that we did, which I spoke about in the first interview that the first, uh, podcast interview that we right. did, where right. I talked about having come through a, a difficult relationship that during which I experienced trauma, which led me to start meditating and learning about mindfulness. So some of the painful experiences I had with this individual in that relationship came up during this activity on the inner critic. And I kind of knew it would. So this was so interesting because I had this intellectually, I was like, okay, what's the worst critic? Who's the worst critic I've ever had? It was that, that person because they were unhealthy mentally. And, and I ended up being the person who uh, was impacted the most by that. So I would hear things that were very unkind. And, uh, and then I thought, I, I think I said to you in the first interview, I'm very attached to outcomes and, and trying things and, and having the full experience of something. I don't like the FOMO, the missing out thing. And so I wanted to have every experience in this course. So I still did this activity, even though they had said repeatedly to us, if this is something that you're concerned about, that you feel might be overwhelming for you, then here are some ways to adapt this practice or just stay removed from the practice and just stick with your breathing and do something else, right? But no, 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 I want to do everything. So I'm going to do this even though I have a feeling I know what's going to happen here. And so I went ahead and did it. Uh, And then I had a moment where I just found myself going, uh, no, no. And here's what happened. What was shared was, let's try to think about if there might be a reason for an inner critic. Ah. What might be the the benefits of an inner critic? Interesting. (laughs) And, you know, what other people I think were thinking, and I believe what they shared later, and what I read about it later, um, was uh, the concept of protection. The inner critic stops you from maybe getting into a situation where you're going to have to feel that pain or you're going to have to um, be at risk or something like that. So if you say to yourself that you can't do something and you'll never be able to do it, then you don't have to try it and you don't have to fail. You know, so these kinds of things come up. But in this moment for me, it was zero. I actually wrote on my piece of paper, the inner critic serves no purpose. And I put a big box around it and I wrote it in capital letters. Wow. And then I got up and walked out. Really? Yep. And I was not the first person to have done this. This was about midway in the course. And it's five days of something that is normally eight weeks long. And it's nine to five every day. It's a lot. Uh, Although in the middle, they gave us a bit of a break with a half day. But I walked out. And I was very upset. And one of the team came out and talked with me. 
And she's actually a psychiatrist, incredible uh, team of facilitators. And uh, just helped me to look at what was coming up for me. And it was really helpful. And I realized that what was going on. And, and we had the conversation we had was, so what do you need right now? Right? Back to that again. What do you need? And I knew that I did not need to return immediately. Um, after we talked for a few minutes and I let go of this sort of anger. So, I, so what I was able to do was realize I'm getting angry. You were experiencing anger that was coming up. I was experiencing anger. And I was also feeling and the reason I'm bringing up the story is because I was feeling really frustrated. Why is this still coming up? It's been years after leaving this relationship. I've worked so hard. I've been kind to myself. I've made changes. Why is that coming up again? And I said that to her. And you know what she said? This, this, this person said to me, well, you know when you break a bone and it doesn't quite fully heal every once in a while when it rains or, you know, you still feel that? That sometimes is the way with very painful things that we experience, that they don't just 100% heal. And so they will pop up at certain difficult moments. And with mindful self-compassion, we're actually taking a moment to know, okay, oh, that's what's coming up. Oh, there's that. That's that anger from that old thing that came up before. How can I help myself move through that? What could I say to myself to help myself be kind? Or, you know, what is it that I need right now and giving myself what I need? So what I needed was not to return and debrief further and talk more about this activity. I made the decision that while everybody else was debriefing, I was just going to walk around a little bit and get some more fresh air. And then I came in when I was ready. So it can be very frustrating when we feel like we've quote unquote finished with something and it just pops up again. But it is also common humanity and remembering that lots of people have things in their past that, that might might pop up again. That's the backdraft. There it is. There's the backdraft. It's coming back again. Now what am I going to do with that? And if we're able to be kind and, and pa- patient with ourselves and compassionate with ourselves, we're going to be better partners in this situation. We're going to be better friends because if we're able to do that for ourselves, we're going to be able to do that for our friends as well and show up for them. So when I experienced what I experienced there about how I see myself years ago with self-loathing, so in this experience, then the backdraft was just a, a, something that was left over and it just kind of occurred that there's still a little bit there. Yes, that it, that, that it will come up old wounds is the language. That makes more sense because I was saying old behavior. No, that's an old wound. Old wound. Yeah. Old wound kind of can separate you a bit, right? It can be more like it's about something that is as opposed to something you've done. Right. So looking at my experience and also especially what your, uh, your experience that you shared, and, and thank you for that, a listener might be thinking, is this helpful for trauma? Or is this something that if someone has uh, trauma, PTSD, is this something that would be helpful or something that you wouldn't recommend? Uh, how would you respond to that? Well, it's a great question, Greg. And actually, the, the story I just told was uh, trauma right. that was coming back for me, right? It was definitely, it was a traumatic situation for me. It's, it's, it's a really interesting area and really, really prevalent that people have experienced trauma. Uh, and sometimes mindfulness, on its, before we get into talking about self-compassion, mindfulness on its own meditation can actually be tough, uh, especially uh, touch um, can be very, very painful for people who've, who've experienced trauma. Um, so when, you, when, when I'm leading a meditation, I, I try to put in different 
options for people. So when we talked about hand slightly over the heart, not touching different things, but also in meditation, one of the central practices is noticing the breath as it comes in and out of the body, the breath as it comes in, the breath as it leaves, noticing what's happening in your body, noticing anything that's uncomfortable or tight or sore or hot or cold. A person who's had certain types of trauma, that's, that's the worst place you can send them is internally to their body. That can actually make them have a reaction that is the opposite of what you're hoping for with mindfulness. It is not a be-all and end-all for everybody. So for some people, it will actually potentially activate things and cause them more discomfort and difficulty. So I would be really careful. I would want people to, to do this with a practitioner or uh, you know, be in a program where there is training and people know that, that trauma can be part of it. When I signed up for the five-day course, I was asked if I was in therapy. I was asked information specifically about uh, previous experience with trauma. Not everybody has that language. No, not everybody can identify that they've had a traumatic experience or they've, they've had trauma. But if you, so, so it isn't necessarily a question that's helpful sometimes um, because depending on their life situation, they may have never thought any kind of therapeutic intervention and they might just think, oh, I had that difficult thing, but you know, stiff upper lip, right? Everybody has problems. Uh, you know, everybody, everybody loses somebody or whatever might be the case. Um, so not everybody realizes what, what they've experienced. But I think for a lot of people, my personal experience with, uh, with this was that it, mindfulness is, is the healing that I got from my traumatic experience. It is the thing that I did every single day, multiple times. I was also doing yoga in the initial stages uh, and the, the, the yogic breathing and uh, meditation combined was really helpful for me with the trauma that I had experienced in the, in the initial kind of urgent phase when I was trying to recover uh, and get my life back. Uh, but, but, and, and, and I've seen lots of people have that experience, but there will be some people who have trouble. So it's just getting it, make sure you're with somebody who's a good facilitator who has training with this so that you know that you're in a safe place where you can try it and see how you feel about it later and where you're given options. Everybody's just not, put your hand in your heart. Let's all do that. But it's like, let's look at these other alternatives as well. I want to talk a, a bit about benefits and then uh, resources, but can we summarize for the listeners your understanding of the benefits and what you're told the benefits are of mindful self-compassion? Sure. So in, in summary, um, I would say there are lots of, I mean, there are so many. I'm trying to think of what would be the best way to summarize it. By taking the time to work with mindful self-compassion, we are accessing our own humanity. We are recognizing that we are part of the world. We are, we are part of a common situation that everybody has. Um, and that allows us to, through self-kindness, um, begin to feel connected. It helps with feelings of isolation. Uh, it has, a, there's a lot of proven, a lot of research uh, around anxiety and depression that it's extremely helpful with anxiety. One of the reasons is that anxiety, a lot of what happens with when people are anxious is around the thoughts of what should be, what comes next, the, the, the uh, fears of how people are looking at me, expectations, all of that. So mindful self-compassion is that step that comes in between there. 
and allows you to actually feel um, a balanced perspective on the situation and breathe into it so that you're not caught up in that rumination that we were talking about earlier. So it supports you in avoiding rumination um, and, uh, and combating uh, anxiety and depression in many people, as I was uh, mentioning. Um, and as I was also saying, supports you in being a better partner, supports you in all of your relationships. Uh, in addition, counter to what people think, as opposed to making you lazy and too self-focused, it is generally going to make the opposite, have the opposite impact. Uh, it allows you to see others and see yourself in a positive light um, and, and see yourself as part of common humanity, which is the opposite of being a narcissist. Um, so it, it has many, many benefits. I would say so many more benefits than, well, there aren't any negatives. I honestly don't think there's anything negative about being uh, self-compassionate. So would you say for most people, this is a, a safe practice to, um, to try and learn more about it? Uh, do you think that it's beneficial for many different things? People could try it at home or uh, what would you recommend someone that is interested in this and related to what we were talking about? what they can read or where they can go to, to learn to see if this, this fits for them. Okay. So th yes, I think everybody can benefit. Uh, and uh, I think there are lots of little pieces you can do at home that, that, that might not engage the level of emotion that we were talking about. That might be just like little kind of being kind to yourself in a moment that's difficult and then feeling better. You know what I mean? Like a small piece of this. Uh, so a, a good place to actually start if you like reading and you enjoy reading would be the book by Kristen Neff called Self-Compassion, where she just, it's, it's, it's simple, but it's not basic, if that makes sense. It's not easy because of being simple. So it's straightforward and clear, and the language will not be something that you haven't ever heard before. So there might be a familiarity to it, but at the same time, we have to recognize that we're not actually doing this. So you're reading it and going, oh yeah, I've heard that before. But you're actually taking it a step further. Then the next thing that she did was put out a book called The Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook with her uh, partner, Christopher Germer, partner in terms of creating this course together. And the, the subtitle of that book is A Proven Way to Accept Yourself, Build Inner Strength, and Thrive. Um, and so this one actually t is, is more helpful than the first book because it is, well, the first book also walks you through activities, but this one is a workbook. So this is what the course is based on that we were, that I took is this book. And so each section that you read, there are then some activities. It might be writing, it might be meditative, it might be any number of different things that you can then do. Uh, it's looking at who you are, um, understanding what are some strengths that you have, what are some areas that you feel like you need to work on, looking at all of these different things and then taking it further um, in, in looking at some of that language that you're using and how it might be perhaps not helping you now uh, and practice that. Uh, I would say if people are interested in courses um, or even just briefer activities, you could look at, and let me just get the website up for myself again that I was looking at earlier, it's the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, uh, which is, and what I wanted to look at was to give you the exact address. It's center4msc.org. Now, it's a U.S.-based, so if people are in Canada, make sure you spell center, E-R. <laughs> in Canada, we tend to spell it R-E. So, center4msc.org. 
Google Mindful Self-Compassion, 100% guaranteed you will find Kristen Neff and Chris Germer. You will probably also find Tara Brock, who uh, we haven't been talking about today, but we did last time when we talked about her RAIN practice. She also has a book called Radical Self-Compassion um, and lots of excellent free uh, meditations that you can find online for both of those practitioners and also Chris Germer. And we'll make sure we have that on the, the website as the resources as well. Yeah, I'll uh, add them to the episode description. Just to kind of address the woo-woo thing, okay? So I experienced, and if the listener is going, I'm not quite sure about this, and it's a bit woo-woo, I got to tell you that I was impressed. A video I saw Chris Germer, uh, he Ah. talked about uh, Chris and Neff's program, the, I believe would be the eight-week program. But nevertheless, Mindful Self-Compassion as a program came out of an MBSR program from University of California, San Diego. That gives it a lot of credibility because we know very much about the benefits of MBSR and the research and the validity. This came out of that. It was based on that. Yes, right. And for people who don't know, mindfulness-based stress reduction, the course that uh, uh, was kind of the foundational training that was accepted in in the field of uh, therapeutic uh, interventions and so on. Yes. And so... Uh, it's the Center for Mindfulness at UC San Diego um, that uh, where this program is offered, but it's offered through lots of different organizations. So um, it isn't just through that university. So by going to that website for the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, you can find courses being offered. My instructor was a woman named Megan Preger, who is phenomenal, uh, really talented, and she is also the director of that institute at UC San Diego. Um, she offers it in a variety of different places. And one re- recent one that I noticed was Hollyhock in, in BC, um, which is a, a center, a retreat center, uh, but also all over the US and other places in Canada. So it's, if you go to that site, I think that's probably the way to find lots of different options. But you can also go to the UC San Diego site and look for their eight-week course and, and try that because you could try it online. Sometimes being online, it gives you that little bit of remove from having to be with other people, which might not feel so comfortable as a starting point. Much like the, the first episode that we did on mindfulness itself, once again, Val, uh, you have a tremendous amount of compassion. The generosity is something amazing that I, I find that you're willing to talk with me today, like you did last time, share your experiences, but also, you know, let the audience, the listeners know a little bit about how this works. And thank you so much for, for being so generous and showing your compassion uh, and coming back to the studio today. My pleasure, Greg. I've really enjoyed um, discussing it with you. And I just want to thank you for your openness and talking about your own experience. I think it really helps people to hear different perspectives. And and when you talk about your pain, it's not easy in a public environment, but that's how we all can help each other um, is to be real about these things. And that's where compassion, that's the root of compassion. So uh, thank you for the opportunity. The, uh, the vulnerability you know, is a difficult thing. When uh, Rob Reefer and I decided to do this, this came out of phone calls. We were very honest and vulnerable and authentic about our lives, catching up after 30 years. So we decided that let's be open. Even though it's difficult to be vulnerable, it's difficult to talk about what I talked about. I know it's beneficial for other people. And the takeaway for me is very, very beneficial. I understand more now thanks to you, what I was experiencing for that uh, brief period during a, a, an introductory course. Mm. 
also, I'll leave you with this. At the end of every podcast, I use a phrase that I found from a, a friend of mine. I say, be kind to yourself. Beautiful. The interesting thing is, never thought of telling myself that. So, for everyone listening, and to you, Val, be kind to yourself. And Greg, be kind to yourself. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, my gosh. My work here is done. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you, Greg. Woo woo. <laughs> woo woo. <laughs> yeah. Was was it a little woo woo for you? Like a little It was a little little more than a woo woo. Oh. <laughs> Man, that was really uncomfortable. I I'm I am gathering that from uh listening to the two of you and uh but you know I had a a few takeaways today uh yeah? with with Vels. Yeah, like she talks about it's not a quick fix. You you, you do you do this uh, mindful self compassion, and it's not a quick fix. It's not okay. Tomorrow you're going to be all right. She's she's obviously studied uh, mindfulness for for a while, mm-hmm. and it's been an ongoing journey. So if you're expecting things to happen overnight, it ain't going to happen. These are practices that you would use on a daily basis. Incorporate these practices into your life. And the other takeaway is look at others and, and see them in a positive light. Mm-hmm. There's two ways of looking at things. But, I mean, if, if, you can, if you can keep a positive attitude, and you know my old uh, thing, I used to talk about the glass being half empty. Well, what's the other half? It's, it, right. it's half full. So keep a positive attitude um, about things. And, uh, yeah, she's such, a, she, she's such an uplifting person. And generous, and as you pointed out too, very generous with her time. Mm-hmm. Very generous with her time, and I like how she kind of um, not dumbed it down for me, but you know, brought it down to context. And sometimes, when you use a context uh, and a reference, it depends on how old you are. But we're about the same age, so her her comment <laughs> about Stuart Smalley hit home because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. <laughs> and people like me. <laughs> Doggone it. Goodness. People like me. People like me. Doggone uh, it. People like <laughs> Rob. <laughs> but uh no, I uh I I really enjoyed uh uh and it's nice too. Like this is her second appearance on our Mind Body Matters podcast and I felt today that she felt a little more comfortable. I probably made her nervous. Who knows? Did you? Yeah, you'd make anyone nervous. <laughs> well, in wrapping this up, I hope you're downloading our episodes to start a queue and to get notifications of new ones. And if you found this episode with Valerie Gao interesting and helpful, please give us five stars or a review on the platform that you're using. Mind Body Matters is a great media podcast and looking forward to having you back on the show again, Rob, on a regular basis. Thank you. And for the listeners, be kind to yourself. And most importantly, be well. Thanks for listening. And if there's a topic that you'd like to hear about, drop us a line at mb-matters.com. Be sure to like and follow us on all our socials. And if you like what you hear, Hit subscribe or follow and share with your friends.